You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, good evening, all you wiretappers out there. Welcome to a, another installment in the Portrait of a Hitman series. This is the series in the Chicago Tribune back in 1973 by uh, well-known reporter Bob Wydrick. Uh, he was able to interview Charles Chucky Cromaldi uh, at length about his activities just before he left town and disappeared into the Witness Protection Program. Uh, this is a ongoing series. What I've been doing is telling you a little bit more about the, the people involved and then uh, reading the questions and answers. So you get the actual answers from a mob guy, uh, outfit guy, on how they work, which is what we kind of pride ourselves on here at uh, Gangland Wire. We like to get the uh, the actual words out of the mouths of men that, men that did it, and since uh, Cromaldi's long gone and, and long dead, uh, or disappeared anyhow, I don't know if he's dead, actually, uh, but he disappeared in a witness protection program, I would imagine he's dead. Why, uh, this is the, the next best thing. I appreciate uh, the Chicago Tribune uh, supporting this Bob Wydrick, and uh, I appreciate the Chicago Tribune supporting this Bob Wydrick in uh, doing this series. It's a really interesting series, a real insight into the outfit and how they work. Tonight, Grimaldi is going to talk about having a sit-down with Mad Sam, his boss, Mad Sam DiStefano. He was kind of the personal hitman for uh, Mad Sam and personal strong-arm guy and loan collector and enforcer whenever his other loan collectors didn't do the right thing. They're going to sit down with uh, Sam Momo Giancana and talk about three men. Sam's trying to get permission to kill these three men. Now, you know, Sam wasn't a made guy. He was a little crazy, and they didn't really want him in. They liked uh, Tony Accardo, like making money out of his loan shark activities, and he was a big money maker, but he was never whistled in, shall we say, and uh, because he, he did. He drew a lot of heat, and he, he was crazy. He was goofy. He, he One time he uh, went into court. He always liked to represent himself if he could. And he took a bullhorn, like a bullhorn, you know, one of those electronic bullhorns into court with him and, and started using that. And one time he, there's a picture, famous picture of him. It's on my, when when I did the uh, series on Mad Sam DiStefano, there's a picture of him on my website of him pulling up his shirt, exposing his recent, I believe it was a hernia surgery, and exposing his stitches. And, and he just did all kinds of crazy things. And and he was uh, he was a well-known torturer. Uh, he he was really was a terrorist, uh, and he hired other terrorists among outfit uh, loan shark victims. Uh, you know, if a person can't borrow money from the bank, many times they go to a loan shark. And and Destefano was well known to take. He was like the the subprime lender of uh, uh, Chicago loan sharks. He didn't take the big businessmen who probably would pay it back or had some kind of assets they could go in and, and loot a business and, and get paid back for their loan shark money. Uh, he took the low-end guys and some of the degenerate gamblers and people like that because he liked to collect that money from people that didn't couldn't pay. He, he liked to, to beat them up, to hum- humiliate them, to, to have them killed. That's why he had Chuck Cromaldi working for him full-time because Cromaldi was a cold-eyed hitman who, who would do the deed uh, when it came time to do it. That's important. Everybody can't do it. In this episode, we're going to hear Chuck Cromaldi's 
memories of that meeting with Sam DiStefano asking Momo or Sam Giancana for permission to kill a couple of his own loan collectors, Leo Foreman, who he does end up killing, we've talked about before, and in a kind of a, he tortured him first and then killed him, and a Peter Capaletti and Ernest Rocky Infelice. Now, a little bit of background on these guys. Uh, Capaletti was a loan collector who had double-crossed him. He had collected some money and then claimed the guy didn't pay it, I believe. And, and he wanted to kill him. I think it was $25,000. We talked about this a little bit. It's kind of a well-known uh, uh, situation because Sam uh, could not get permission to kill Cappy, as they called him, or Peter Capaletti. But what Sam did end up doing, even though he couldn't kill him, he kidnapped him and tortured him, humiliated him, chained him to a radiator where he was getting burnt pretty bad, and then purportedly he brought him out in front of some of his relatives and threw him down on the ground and peed on him. And it's my understanding that uh, the relatives were able to come up with the money. And Capaletti, I guess, I don't know about the rest of his life, he ends up leaving town and he dies of an old age in Las Vegas in 2001. Now, Ernest Rocky Infelice, he, he somehow double-crossed Sam DeStefano. Infelice will actually go on to eventually become one of the uh, uh, top guys in, in the Chicago outfit later in later years. But he was, a, he was a bad dude. He became an associate of Turk uh, Torello, James the Turk Torello. He was also known as the Butcher. He was known as a mob hitman himself. But one of his early arrests, which is kind of important in that he was caught with some stolen drugs, uh, $100,000 worth of stolen drugs back in 1956. He was involved in arson fires, arson for hire over the years. He had an ownership interest in the guest house restaurant, which got burnt down, of course and the Lido Motel on Mannheim Road, which would have been a what we call a hot-sheet hotel and scenes of many other nefarious activities. He took a, an early charge for 1966 for failing to file income taxes. He was uh, convicted in 1970, well, in the early 70s for hijacking. Uh, he kept his mouth shut during all this. He was, he was in subpoenaed to testify against Sam Giancana, and he took the fifth. He didn't testify, and, and kind of as a reward for that, he was eventually given a job at McCormick Place as a laborer for the Teamsters Union, 714. Now, McCormick Place, of course, is a big uh, exhibit hall, a huge big exhibit hall, and the labor unions, they they ruled that place. You didn't do anything without the permission of the labor unions. And so you can take a guy like Rocky and Felice and reward him with a basically no-show or an easy job where he could come and go as he wanted with the Teamsters Union in McCormick Place. I've read that a lot of exhibitors hated to go to McCormick Place because they had so much stuff stolen and they had to pay so much extra money for every little thing that happened in there. And there's a lot of extortion going on in there also. He, he was he was like a, a valued guy for the mob, for the outfit at this point in time, even though he did get crossways with DiStefano. So let's let's go to the interview. This is 1963. The author of the article, Mr. Ryderick, describes this as a cold November night, 
Sam Giancana is in the back room of the Armory Lounge in Forest Park, which is where he always hung out and did business. Sam DiStefano and Chuck Cromaldi come in. They go in the back room to have a sit-down with Sam Giancana. About a year or so before, somebody else was mad at Capoletti, and Giancana had gone to Sam Giancana and, and asked that his life be spared. So, uh, you know, that tell you this life in the outfit. It's uh, you, you think politics at your job. I remember politics on the police department. Uh, I got on the wrong side myself and all of a sudden found myself riding a, a district car on dog watch for a while just, just because somebody else wanted me. They wanted my job, and, and another guy uh, got in a position with a, a new commander who— said he was easily influenced by this other guy who I had angered at one point in, in his career. Uh, so he went out and played golf with that commander, and that commander about a week later came in and told my captain, you know, hey, we're transferring Jenkins out. Get somebody else in there. I, and Actually, I have a name already. Those, these kinds of things happen just with the outfit. It's more life and death. Question, I understand DeStefano's reasons for wanting Foreman and Capoletti dead. What about Infelice? Answer. Sam had backed him in a business, and Rocky owed him some money. He had a restaurant in Lyons. Rocky owned that. And he had the guest house on Mannheim Road, which Rocky wound up burning to collect the insurance. He was supposedly going to pay Sam after he got that insurance payout. He didn't and left Chicago and went to New York. Question. What did he owe Sam? Answer. Oh, $12,000, a rough figure, somewhere in that area. But he never paid Sam. So Sam thought, the hell with it. As long as we were going to go out there for permission on Foreman and Capoletti, he'd get Rocky too because we'd just go to New York and whack him. Question, why did he need Giancana's approval for the murders? Answer, Sam had gotten a pass for Capoletti a year earlier, so that had to be straightened out. And Foreman had involved Milwaukee Phil Alderesio in some insurance deals and a few other things. And Sam didn't know just how deep that association went. Therefore, he couldn't kill Leo without getting the official okay. Rocky was connected with the outfit pretty strongly, and Sam just couldn't kill him without their permission because he didn't know who Rocky was indebted to, what other people from the syndicate. Question, what did Giancana say? Answer, he gave Sam permission to kill Foreman and told him to use his own discretion on Infelice and said he definitely could not kill Capoletti. That was because of the pitch Sam made before to save Cappy's life. Question, did he really let Sam use his own judgment on Rocky? Answer, right. The way Sam explained it to me, Rocky was tied up with the people, and there might be a hassle about it later, but Sam had cleared himself, but he had gone and got permission. Question, what did you do about Rocky? Answer, we were laying real hard on Foreman to kill him. But Rocky's father passed away in the meantime, and Rocky came in for the funeral. And when Rocky was at the funeral, we went and picked him up at the funeral parlor. We brought him out to Sam's house. Question, you took him right from his own father's funeral? Answer, sure. We just walked in and there were enough outfit people there that Rocky couldn't refuse. He had to come graciously, otherwise he would have looked bad in everybody's eyes. Question, did you pull a pistol on him? Answer, no, we didn't have to. He knew we had him. At Sam's house, Rocky told him he had a diamond deal coming up in New York, and as soon as that deal went down, he'd pay Sam all his money. Question, was that supposed to be a jewel theft? Answer, right. It was supposed to be a big jewelry burglary. Rocky was a good burglar. He was known for his jewelry burglaries. If Sam would give him a pass, he said he would pay him off in full. Sam said, okay, fine. We'll go along with that. 
presumption because your father just passed away. Three weeks later, Infelice came back to Chicago and paid Sam off, which later we found out wasn't a jewelry store, but a big narcotics deal. Now, if you remember, the very first arrest for Rocky Infelice was a narcotics deal. So even though they weren't supposed to be dealing in narcotics, they did, as we've learned many times over the years doing this podcast. Question, was it your feeling that Sam wanted the money or that he actually felt badly for Rocky because his dad was dead? Answer, no, in a case like this, Sam wanted the money from Infelice because we had Foreman to work on and we were going to have to devote a little bit of time to whack Leo. We didn't have time to kill Infelice. Question, in other words, it was just a matter of priorities. (laughs) Answer, that's right, that's why Rocky is alive today. Question, tell me about the Foreman murder. Answer, I'd rather not go into that. I've already testified about that in court and I'm glad a lot of the details weren't printed. I wouldn't want my mother to get upset. If you remember, when they killed Leo Foreman and, and Cribaldi was there and Tony Spilatro was there, they're the ones that helped get him into Sam's basement. Sam beat him and beat him and stuck him with ice sticks, stuck ice sticks into his testicles and, and basically humiliated him and humiliated him until he finally killed him. This was in the basement of Mario DeStefano's home, and that, that's how they made that case. They went back and looked at the case, and they found that there were paint chips in uh, Leo Foreman's clothing. And they, by that point in time, Mario DiStefano had left that house. They got a search warrant, went back into the house, and matched up paint chips and pieces of wood from Mario DiStefano's basement to Leo Foreman's clothing that he was wearing when they found his body. So they, and then you had. Cromaldi testifying. So you put those two things together, you got halfway of a case. Now, Sam will get killed before the trial, if you remember. Mario gets convicted. Eventually, I think he gets his conviction overturned, and Cromaldi ends up leaving town to witness protection program. Now, here's, a, here's another one he talked about. We've talked about those three and how Infelice got off and Leo Foreman got killed and Capaletti got off. They asked him about Axon Jackson's murder. That's William Axon Jackson, who was a another loan shark in the area and was tortured and killed, found his body in the trunk. You may have seen that that image out there on some of the Facebook pages. It's, it's a pretty gross image of his his testicles are all sworn up swollen up and and he's and he was like, you know, he was a huge three hundred pound dude. Question. Tell me about your knowledge of Jackson's murder. Answer. Action Jackson was supposedly meeting with government agents, and Cromaldi says he had gotten nailed on a hijacking beef, and he was going to give them information. He was going to sacrifice a few people. He was meeting with the agents up in Milwaukee at Fazio's place, and Louis Fazio had a Milwaukee res- restaurant. He was a convicted murderer, outfit associate. He will eventually be found shot to death near his home. Actually, before Sam, just not too long after this, this is before Sam DeStefano was killed. Uh, there was talk that he might have been called as a witness in DiStefano's trial. Question, so what happened? Fazio saw the meeting in there, and he relayed the message to Sam. So Sam set Jackson up to go to Sam's house one night. When Jackson got there, Sam wasn't home. His wife Anita told Action that Sam would be home later and ask if he was hungry. You know, big heavy guy like that's always hungry. He said he hadn't eaten all day, so Anita cooked him a steak and gave him a real nice dinner. Sam called the house and said he was going to be at Mario's restaurant in Cicero and for action to meet him there because he was playing cards with Tony Accardo and somebody else. 
I think it was that that I think it was uh, Joey Glimco who was a labor racketeer. I don't really know this Joey Glimco. It's probably a whole other story. Question: What did Jackson do? Answer: He said, "Okay, fine," and went to the restaurant. That's where he met his demise. Sam left the card game for about twenty minutes. The game was about two doors away from Mario's restaurant, right next door to the strip joint. They had a card from there. I guess that means a card that you could go in and out. It must have been like a private club. Sam walked out. I guess he told Ricardo that he had to go see Mario about something. That's his brother, Mario DiStefano. Then action got whacked. Question, who did that? Sam and who else? Answer, Sam and Mario and two other people. Question, anybody I know? No. Question, in the basement? Answer, yeah, he was put on a block and tackle and hoisted on a meat hook. They used an ice pick and a cattle prod and a blowtorch. They shot him and they beat him with a baseball bat. Then they dumped him in the trunk of his car, and he was taken to the lower level of Wacker Drive with a tow truck. Jackson died brutally just as he had lived, but before he died, Anita DeStefano cooked him a real nice dinner. So that's kind of an insight about uh, gaining permission to kill people in the outfit, why you have to get permission, and how important it was. I noticed he used the word laid on. If you've listened to the podcast interview with Frank Calabrese Jr., why he talked about laying on, he gives a lot of good description in how they they lay on people. He even talked about getting a uh, refrigerator box and setting it out you know, on the street or setting it uh, in an alley and getting inside that box where you can watch somebody without him knowing. That sounds like uh, sounds like some of the stuff we used to do. Mainly the best thing, if you're going to lay on somebody, you're going to watch them, and you don't want them to know they're being watched because, believe me, if these mob guys, <laughs> they may think it's a police sometimes, but they also, if they're in trouble, they know it's, it's probably somebody getting ready to set them up to kill them if they catch somebody watching them. But the best way to do it is try to get inside a house or an apartment or a, a business or up on a roof. People don't usually look up. Um, but, you know, some kind of subterfuge, you know, a van, uh, people kind of, they look, they're kind of alert to looking for vans. They watch enough TV. But boy, inside of a, a big appliance box like that, if you can keep people from going and moving around, getting inside that, and just watching out through there, you could sit there for several hours and, and watch somebody, and they never had any idea you were watching. It was pretty slick. So that ends this episode of Portrait of a Hitman, interview with Charles Chuck Cremaldi. If you have a friend or relative who has a problem with drugs or alcohol, make your first call to first call. Call 816-361-5900 or go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. And as always, I thank you for listening to my podcast, if you have iTunes, give me a review. If you have the Venmo app, hit me up uh, with a buck or two, maybe even $5. Buy me a shot and a beer. Well, that's more like $10 probably, but buy me a cup of coffee. Buy me a cup of Starbucks. Uh, you can buy me a cup of Quick Trip coffee if you want or McDonald's. You can get senior coffee for 50 cents. But anyhow, hit me up. I like to, I like to see people support the podcast, and I'm getting more and more listeners. And maybe someday we'll get enough to get advertisers. But you don't really want that, so keep hitting me up on that. I'll keep paying for the website and the host for the actual audio files. Remember, go to Gangland Wire, www.ganglandwire.com. Hit the donate button on the shop page. Also on the shop page, I have produced a video documentary, Gangland Wire, which was kind of my first uh, original efforts into this uh, genre, shall we call it. 
Uh, it's the backstory behind the movie casino that started here in Kansas City. And in, in the movie casino, they indicate it's in a grocery store, little corner store. And it was actually in the back of a pizza place, Rossi Strada's Villa Capri. Uh, I've also written a companion book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. Uh, this Both these works document the Kansas City mob and Chicago mob and skimming from Las Vegas casinos and who they were dealing with out there, the polit- political machinations that were going on in, in Nevada. If you get the book, I suggest you get the Kindle because I have actually linked the actual audio to different parts in the book so you can hear the real guys uh, talking about scheming and stealing from casinos and bribing pol- politicians and things like that. I have over 200 free back episodes of Gangland Wire for your listening pleasure. So finally, don't forget about the Kansas City Mob Tour app in the Apple App Store. Good night, all you wiretappers out there. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.